Well, this is the Student Ministries Summit, so fancy in its name. And we didn't want to give you a talk that was 90 minutes of, of uh, monologue. We really want to do some questions, some answers, some discussion about things in student ministries, what, what's on your mind, what are you thinking about. And so we're all here, all the here at, at Grace Community Church, Student Ministries is synonymously known as the basement. Uh, and that's not, that's in no way a reflection of our church's priority uh, about ministering to students. Uh, we don't actually all meet in the basement. Our, our college ministry meets above ground. Uh, we're not trying to teach evolution in that way or anything like that. But it, it, it's, uh, so we're all here from the basement. The plan today is to just really think about what's most essential in student ministries. As we plan for this seminar, we wanted to be as helpful and specific and pointed as possible. So if you're a volunteer with students at your church, if you're a pastor uh, who's looking for a youth pastor, if you're a a youth worker of any kind, or if you just wandered into the wrong seminar because the others are full, we're glad to have you, and we hope this will be a a helpful time. Uh, We're going to do three brief talks today. So we're going to keep them under 12 minutes or so, and, and we're going to keep each other accountable. Uh, Jay and Josh have promised to throw stuff at me if I go over 12 minutes. My time has not started yet. And I'm going to talk about creating an evangelistic culture in youth ministry, the youth pastor as evangelist. And Jay will then talk about connecting students to the church, and Josh is going to wrap things up, uh, cultivating holiness in students as Uh, the aim of youth ministry. So with those kind of three talks in mind, we'll keep them each brief, 10, 12 minutes each, and then uh, we'll transition to a time of discussion, dialogue, Q&A, and talk about what you're thinking about in ministering to students. And I know you'll have uh, questions uh, maybe about how we do things. Uh, We're happy to answer those. Uh, You'll have questions about preaching to young people, whatever it is, we're wide open uh, to discussing those things. So that's the plan for today. Uh, You can start the timer. Uh, My topic is the youth pastor as evangelist, the youth pastor as evangelist. Uh, Adam was his name. He was a soccer player, a pothead, and he had a Mormon girlfriend. He grew up in an irreligious family. His soccer coach was a volunteer at the church in the youth department and struck up a friendship with Adam, and soon Adam would visit the church, hear a message about Christ, about sin, righteousness, and Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And this combined with all the conversations that had happened on the soccer field and uh, with these two guys together brought the sovereignty of God in this tremendous sweet moment that you've seen and that is such a treasure to you to see uh, this young man completely surrender his life to Christ. And it didn't stop there. Adam's parents, within a year, both were saved out of complete pagan, non-church-going background and converted really by the witness and testimony of their son. And within a few short years, his sister would also become a Christian. Uh, these are the kind of stories that we love in student ministries uh, here in the basement, as we call it, a young man named Sergio uh, who 
was uh, second generation Angelino. His parents were faithful attenders at Grace, but the streets were very welcoming to this Hispanic young man. Uh, a lot of his friends were involved in gang activity in this direct neighborhood, and some of those same kids that he used to sit in the back corner in this building uh, during youth group are now in jail, and a few of them are dead. He, on the other hand, though uninterested in spiritual things, uh, through his parents' faithful witness, combined with the faithful preaching of the gospel, uh, surrendered his life to Christ. He saw the bitter taste of sin, and it changed him. Uh, youth ministry is often relegated to the sidelines of real ministry. Student ministry is, is stereotyped by, um, and sometimes rightly so, as goatee game show hosts that uh, lead kids in some kind of entertainment-driven Pied Piper thing, keeping church kids out of trouble. Uh, it's often perceived to be a dumbed-down, worldly version of what happens in the main service, a candy-coated teenage-branded mini-church. Uh, and those labels are sometimes warranted because there's so much bad and unbiblical student ministry happening in the world. But when it's done, when ministering to students is done with biblical and ecclesiastical convictions, our ministry to students should be compellingly evangelistic. And our church's shepherding and outreach ministry, her membership ministry, uh, the, the baptism services should all be marked by uh, this aspect of student ministry. When you think about the youth pastor as an evangelist, and he may have many responsibilities and roles in the church. There may be expectations that are on you as a youth minister, but I think it will help you and I think it will help your church if you think of yourself predominantly in terms of an evangelist, that the student ministries in your church is, is part of your missions worldview. It's part of your outreach. It's a sending agency within your church. One of the whitest harvests that is the closest to our fellowship is the young people who are born into it or who arrive not knowing the gospel, who are converted and are the objects of our evangelistic zeal. The conviction that I think you need to have a youth ministry that knows what it's there for is that young people need the gospel. And you've seen all the studies, Barna Group comes out with one, uh, every year where they're naming whatever generation is coming next. I've been watching these studies for 20 years now. I'm in my 20th year of youth ministry. Uh, it's getting to be, I'm almost like an, an ironic joke, the 40-year-old youth pastor. That's me. And so I've, I've seen more Barna conferences uh, than, than math I could actually accomplish with percentages of this many used to be Generation Xers, and then it was Millennials, and now it's Generation Zs or, or whatever. And uh, when you see those, those trends and the data put out, uh, this many students are leaving the church, uh, this many uh, percentage of churched kids are, are, are no longer staying in the church, uh, we understand that those numbers are so flawed because those statistics are so skewed by bad theology that undergirds them. But still, we're all aware of the reality of apostasy in our churches. Uh, we know that we've seen young people, we know their names, we know their families who have uh, gone wayward. 
And for us, it's not about empty seats in the, in the youth room. It's about souls. And so to think about the young people entrusted to our care as souls, to think about those who spent their teen years in this prime position, and to not maximize that opportunity for evangelism is to squander and to be a bad shepherd as a minister. So we're not unaware of what's happening in young people leaving the church. 1 John 2, 19 to 21 says it clearly. They went out from us, but they were really not of us. If they'd been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out in order that it might be shown that they are all not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. And so where the experts in youth ministry scramble to think of ways to to counter the, the loss of teenagers in the church, we're aware that a lot of the solutions we see are ridiculous. Uh, we could keep doing ministry, youth ministry, kind of the historically man-centered goofball way and do busyness as usual. You know, let's throw more dodgeballs at them. Let's whistle more at them. Let's find out something else we can put in our cheeks. It's not chubby bunny, it's, it's chubby D batteries or, or whatever. Chubby Tide Pods, I think, is what they, they do now. We, just a safety notice here. Don't, don't eat Tide Pods. And, I mean, you get on the Fuller Youth Institute website, which I don't recommend. It's as bad as eating Tide Pods. And, you know, you'll see what's hot right now in youth trends. They, they talk about sticky faith. How can we have their faith stick to them? as if uh, people uh, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ can somehow uh, slip out of conversion. Uh, They talk about how you can make your church grow younger, or they'll discuss uh, whatever social fad is is in front of them at the time, trying to keep them uh, aware of what's going on. So you have to stay tuned because the fads are constantly changing. It used to be postmodern youth ministry or emergent youth ministry, and now it's, it's whatever is on their website today, a new thing tomorrow. Uh, or you can just put all your faith in the parachurch, a, an organization that Jesus himself never promised to build and bless. Uh, or you can jettison youth ministry completely and go with the family-centered uh, approach and say, nobody will ever influence my kids except people who are related to them. And that's, that's a bold idea. And if you think you're getting it from Deuteronomy, I can't wait to see your conversation with Moses someday. So we'll save that for the q and I know that was loaded. Uh, <laughs> just, just thinking through how do we think about our ministry evangelistically? Well, one, we teach the Bible. We get asked all the time, what, what's the curriculum you guys recommend? Is there you know, a video series we can play? Uh, what, what, what books do you, do you use? And we just always say, we teach the Bible. Uh, we teach the Bible. That, that's all we've got for you. We, we think you should teach the Bible to young people because Psalm 119 verse 9 tells us that's the only way a young person can keep his way pure, that the word of God has a converting power within it. And our theology breeds our philosophy of ministry. And the calling of a pastor is clear. We think of youth ministry as pastoral ministry, and we think of it primarily evangelistically. And so we try to preach the word in season and out of season. So uh, that really is all the months a year. We want to be teaching students the Bible. Uh, And so we want to have biblical youth ministry that teaches them the wisdom of the word of God and and shows them the truth of the gospel. 
We want to have biblically qualified leadership that, that work with the young people in our church, not uh, creeps or weirdos who, who just want to be around teenagers. Uh, and this is all just based on what the Bible says about leadership. And so for your ministry to be evangelistic, it needs to be thoroughly biblical. We want to build students into the local church, which is what uh, Jay is going to talk about. So I don't need to talk about that at this point, but that's ecclesiology is a massive part of evangelism. Uh, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he told us to uh, teach them to obey him and to baptize them. And in the book of Acts, they're, they're added to the church. It should be no different with students. And if you want to talk about the age of baptism and stuff like that, that goes to the Q&A. Uh, build students into the gospel. We want to train our volunteers to be wise discerners, to help counsel students who are undergoing the reality of, of starting to wonder, is this my faith or my parents' faith? Uh, we want them to uh, be able to weigh the verse that says, 1 Corinthians, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Uh, we want to reach church kids who are confused about what lordship salvation means and what the implications of it are. Uh, we want to help discern and evaluate their spiritual condition, and we want to keep the gospel at the center of everything that we do in youth ministry because we believe that youth ministry should be primarily evangelistic. And we never want to replace the family. We want to build them into their families. Uh, and we want to help them understand that God gave them their parents and that their parents are, are a blessing, whether their parents are saved or not, uh, that they submit to them as they submit to Christ. And we want to show them that the practical outworking of their faith is often in relationship to how they respond to mom and dad. We want to partner with parents. We are on their team. We are not primary. We are supplemental. But the church is not ancillary. And so we want to be a part of the body of Christ and show kids what that means. And then we want to just continue to point students to Jesus, avoiding superficial and cheesy fads in ministry. We want them to be compelled and captivated, not by how awesome our summer camp is. And we do have an awesome summer camp. We want to show you a video about, I think. But uh, we want them to be compelled and captivated by Jesus and show them that God is not boring. Uh, he is... Uh, the one who is sovereign over this universe. We want to show them the deep truths of God's providence and glory and show them that Jesus himself is worthy of their lives. And then as we think about ministering to teenagers evangelistically, we want them to think about being evangelists, to have those teenagers like a sending agency in our church on secular campuses all over our city is a profound blessing. To be in an almost completely secular environment, like our students at UCLA are, for, to meet every Friday for a Bible study and then to scatter over the campus throughout the week and go fishing for men is a wonderful thing. So what do we try to teach kids? 13 things. Ready? I have one minute left. Invite people to church. This isn't worth writing down. It's just simple stuff. Invite people to church. Explain the gospel to people. Look for opportunities. Read books on evangelism like Metzger's To Tell the Truth. Uh, devour missionary biographies. Kindle a passion for lost souls. Make a prayer list of the people that you know who don't know Christ. Uh, journal your evangelistic conversations and questions. Count conversions, uh, count conversations rather than conversions. <laughs> I got SBC for a second there. Uh, <laughs> Penalize me 30 seconds. 
in the penalty box. Count conversations rather than conversions. 10, review your day each day. Were you an evangelist today? 11, build relationships. 12, teach young people to support missionaries. And 13, be deliberate about all of it. Because if you view youth ministry as primarily, predominantly evangelistic, it becomes one of the most compelling things that your church does, okay? Next talk. I might've went over by 40 seconds. Well, good afternoon, men. I'm Jay Lennington, the junior high pastor here at Grace Church. And it's my task today to, uh, in 12 minutes or less, uh, to talk to you about being youth pastor as connector or youth pastor uh, as a churchman. It's not a new concept, uh, not a, a novel idea, but it's certainly one that we can neglect in the tyranny of the urgent that ministry can often be thinking about connecting the students to our church as a whole. So I want and hope that connecting your students uh, in student ministry, whether it's junior high or high school or college, I hope that that's not just your goal as the youth pastor, but no matter what pastoral position you have at the church, that you're all sharing that same goal. We want to connect the students uh, to our church. As pastors, our desire should be for them uh, to, to be connected not just through our student ministry programs, but for the entirety of, of their lives as disciples of Christ. Uh, we want them plugged into our churches to stay connected, to remain attached to the local church. Not just associated with, but engaged in, not just identifying with, but actively participating in the local body of believers that are, are faithfully attending and are active in your church. So that, that's the goal. We want our, our teens exposed to and discipled by those who, who are engaged in the life of the congregation. One of the primary object, objectives as a youth pastor then, again, whether it's junior high or high school uh, or college, whatever the case may be, we, we want to be a connector. And I like that word churchman. I think that's a better word for it. We want to be a churchman, um, striving to connect students to the church. Why? Well, part of my background would tell me, just from, from youth ministry in general, that some of you are really fortunate to have maybe your own youth room that's pretty amazing, kind of separate from the rest of the church. Some of you have your own building, uh, and that's a huge blessing to you, an amazing facility for you to do youth ministry in. However, that separation has to stop with building location only. It can't bleed into the relationships of the people in the church, and sadly, sometimes it does. We, we sort of separate them and separation just grows and grows. And so we, we want to we try to, to stop that, to try to fight against it, insist that our youth ministry programs are, they not become these strange subsets because they aren't. Student ministry is not to be in isolation to the rest of the life of the church body. Romans 12.5, it's so helpful for us here. So we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we're members one of another. So I have no doubt that you have 13-year-olds. I'm a junior high pastor. No doubt that you have 13-year-olds in your, in your junior high programs who are legitimately saved. I believe that you, you, know, you have high school students who have made genuine professions of faith and are trying to live out that faith. I know you have, you have college-age students and young adults who are following after Christ and, and praise God for his saving work 
in, in youth ministry. But those precious souls, they, they belong to the body. They, they belong to the church, to the other members of your church family. Believers are members of the body of Christ, and you express that, and you, you help them understand that, that they belong. So how do we do that? How do we connect these students into our church? Well, practically, we're, we're talking about membership. We're talking about membership. Students who have expressed faith in the gospel should become members of your church. However that looks for your particular church, hopefully it's, it's baptism, and, and hopefully maybe you have a membership class. It'd be great to walk them through, your students through, what does it mean to be a member of our church I mean, as members of the body, there's so many benefits and, and even responsibilities that are good for, for students to begin to think about and participate in. Um, first and foremost, they have a lifestyle that honors Christ. And as a member, we hold them accountable to that. Faithfully attend church in, in unity. They're to serve and edify the other members. As members, they're beginning to be challenged to, in, in ways that they can give. You say, <laughs> junior hires borrow money from me. Like, come on, what are we talking? But no, their time and their talents. Uh, they, they can give and, and serve the church that way. They're encouraged to be evangelistic with friends and family. Thank you, Austin. Kids on their teams, kids at school. We encourage them as members of our church to, to be sharing the gospel with other students involved in discipleship. Encouraged to pray for the leadership and for the other, you know, big picture ministry things that are happening in your church as a whole. So in other words, membership, it connects students to the church in ways that encourage them to be joyful and submissive and involved. I think that's really practically helpful for them. So as pastors, we, we want students engaged in the life of the church. When I think about connecting them to the larger church body, just thinking of promoting and highlighting the, the life of the church, emphasizing corporate worship, not just things happening in youth ministry, talking about, you know, being in, in church, big church, adult church. I don't know what you call it, but we want them to know that that's where church happens. Worshiping our Lord as a body, one unified body in song, in preaching and fellowship, all with the purpose of building up the body in unity, Ephesians 4.13. When we think about connecting students to the body, though, we're also thinking about engaging them in, in the ordinances of our Lord Jesus, baptism and communion. So helpful for them to, to participate in both of those, right? Out of obedience, out of benefit. We need to encourage and help our students to obey our Lord's command to be baptized, which requires you, youth pastor, to, to talk about baptism, preach on it and teach on it and explain to them what it is and why it's important and why it matters. First step in, in obedience to, to our Lord, but also how good for the entire body to see that student actually be baptized. Sort of sends that signal to them that they need to be praying for this young soul, this, this new member of their church, to be thankful for the way that God's working in their church. And baptism does that. Communion. Recently had a conversation with one of the elders here regarding one of the students not taking communion. It was a great conversation. He just sort of highlighted, you know, it's always a bad thing when a student doesn't take communion. He said, you know, first, obviously, if 
They're not taking it because they're not saved, which is a problem. It's it's monumentally bad, and it sort of should spark our evangelistic urgency with them than in our conversations. We need to talk to these students. Why Why are you just okay not being saved? Or, and just as bad, they are saved, but something's keeping them from taking it. Maybe some conversation with parents, some misunderstanding about what communion is and, and what it's about. There's some breakdown there. And again, it's just, it's, it's bad. It's so good for our, our students to understand what communion is and what it's about and what it's for. Men, if they're Christians, the students in, in your ministries, if they've professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then they should be baptized. They should be taking communion. They should be members of your church. Otherwise, we communicate to our students that being part of the church is about something more or something other than being a Christian. That's a problem. We put a huge wedge between the body and student ministry. We disconnect rather than connect. We segregate rather than attach. So our youth pastor objectives, and again, be churchmen. Engage in connecting students to the church. So I just, real quick, I want to talk to you about three groups of people. Three groups to just be mindful of as a youth pastor. Three groups to be connecting students to. Parents, the saints of the church, and pastors. Uh, parents or older people and pastors, these three groups. So first, let's talk about parents quickly. Our ministry, you, get, you men know this. It often involves more than just the students. It becomes family ministry. We're, we're ministering to the parents as well. We're, we're engaged with parents, talking to them. Might not be able to reach every parent, but I do want them to know that I'm available. I certainly want them to know that, that, that I'm encouraged um, to be a part of what they're doing at home, encouraging them as parents, but reinforcing, and Austin mentioned it already, that I'm not a replacement for them. I have four children. It's exhausting. It's enough. I don't need any more. Love my kids. I'm not a replacement for parents, and I don't want to be. So one of the you know, ways we're just thinking about parents then is asking our students, redirecting them back to mom and dad. What did mom and dad say about that? What do mom and dad think about this question you're asking me? Have you talked to them? Are you, are you asking them what, what, what they think? I want parents to know that I'm looking for ways to keep their students connected to them. Uh, Ligon nailed this yesterday in the Q&A. He talked about parents for, for just a second, and he said, parents are the first line of discipleship and training. There's no more basic discipleship and influential discipleship than what happens with parents. No youth guy can even come close. Amen. Can't compete with mom and dad, and we don't want to. We want to keep students connected to their parents. Until that time comes when we cannot remove that but add to it in discipleship. So not only parents, but but older and other generations of your church, the saints, uh, older people. That's my homiletical skill, junior high pastor. 20s, college students, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. And of course, God has a special blessing for anyone older than that still serving in youth ministry. Thanks for those people. But those, those, these are the people that we want to just connect with students. And one of the best ways to connect them to the church is, is through that intergenerational fellowship. 
looking for ways to do that and connecting as many generations of people as possible, encouraging them to, to, to serve in student ministry, inviting them to be a part of it. it takes work, doesn't it? I know. I remember, it's, it's, it's so hard. You gotta work at that. I encourage them to participate, to join you at events, invite them to sit in on small groups, invite them to engage. But also we get, vice versa, we can encourage our students to plug into to those people's lives through so many things happening in our church. Yes, absolutely. Talk about the church picnic happening in youth group. Talk about it, highlight it. But so many other, other ways for them to plug in, service opportunities, Small groups and community groups, Bible studies, mission trips, Sunday school classes, outreach projects, just discipleship in the church, men's ministry, women's ministry, whatever's happening. Talk about that stuff, promote that stuff, encourage them to, to actively be involved. Look for ways to connect students to the already existing saints of your church. And then lastly, I just I want to talk about this third group, pastors, other pastors in your church. I want you to think about, as a youth pastor, not being the only voice in the life of your students, not being the sole voice. And you may be thinking, I'm the only pastor. I hear you. Other deacons then, other elders in your church, other men that you can bring into the, to these student ministries to be a, a great influence on students. whether it's occasionally having them come and teach, inviting the youth group over to another pastor's house, whatever, just getting them engaged with other pastors at lock-ins, at retreats, all great moments for you to invite the pastoral staff or other deacons or elders to come and minister God's word to the youth group. That way, when that student goes to college group, he feels like he has a connection with the college pastor already. Or when he goes and sits in that Sunday school class, he feels like he, he knows that pastor and, and who he is. Don't be the only voice in their life. Look for other elders, again, other deacons to invest in the lives of the students of the church. And I'm way over time. Men are showing me the clock. Real quick. Senior pastors, talk about youth ministry from your pulpit. Talk about it. Be encouraging. Talk about what's happening in that youth ministry. Announce stuff. If the youth pastor needs help, invite help. It helps the students to know that youth ministry matters to you, to their senior pastor, that it's an active and, and, and vibrant part of the church. So as youth pastors, again, be connectors, be churchmen. Stop the clock. Whew. Way over. Josh. That was helpful. Well, as the kid who's been invited to the adult table at Thanksgiving, I've been informed I now have eight minutes. So... Just kidding. Uh, my name is Josh Petrus, high school pastor here at Grace Community Church. Been here for three and a half years. Uh, I love high school ministry, and I want to talk to you just a little bit uh, about actually what Pastor John was talking about yesterday, the, the youth pastor as shepherd uh, with a concern for the, the students' sanctification. And as the elder young men here, I want to uh, start with a quote from someone else other than myself, because I think it's a good way to go. J.C. Ryle writes this. Many of you are familiar with it. His book, Holiness. He says, I have a deep conviction for many years that practical holiness and entire self-consecration to God are not sufficiently attended to by modern Christians in this country. Politics or controversy or party spirit or worldliness have eaten out the heart of lively piety in too many of us. The subject of personal godliness has fallen sadly into the background. Yet, 
Sanctification in its place and proportion is quite as important as justification. Sound Protestant and evangelical doctrine is useless if it is not accompanied by a holy life. It is worse than useless. It does positive harm. And those words of Ryle are as true today as they were when he wrote them in 1879. Now, we're going to have this conversation here where we as youth pastors should talk about personal holiness with our students. And that's not a, a popular conversation. It's not popular to talk about pursuing Christ-likeness, about putting off sin and putting on righteousness. In fact, it's far easier and you'll get far more approval from your students if it's about evangelism and the next fun event. It's easier to have that conversation. Now, this isn't a talk about your student ministry not being fun. It, it should be fun. Um, I'm all about lock-ins and dodgeballs. And, you know, if the Little Caesars employee knows you by name because you're picking up so many hot and rennies, that's a badge of honor. Uh, that's a good thing. So, you know, it's, it's good to have fun. But more than that, uh, your students need shepherding care. Uh, they need pastoral care. They, they need care for their personal holiness. As Pastor John mentioned yesterday, our, our burden should be uh, that, that Christ would be formed in them. Now, here's the good news. Philippians 2, 13 says God is at work in them. And Romans, 2, or Romans 8, 29 says his, his aim is to conform them to the image of Christ. Amen? That's his, that's his aim. But part of the way he sovereignly brings that about is he places ministers in the life of young people to be the instruments by which that happens. So you're part of God's plan in bringing holiness into the life of a young person. They need pastoral care. And so for us, we must prioritize sanctification. And I'll just bring up a couple reasons why. Pastor John talked about this yesterday, but particularly for youth ministry, uh, why we need to focus on this. First is, is the issue of assurance. Jay and I were talking, one of the most consistent issues that we have with young people, conversations, is they don't know whether or not they're saved. And it's not a question of whether or not they know the gospel. They know the gospel facts. It's they don't know how to reconcile what the Bible says about the gospel with their current struggle with sin. How can I be a Christian and yet I still have this issue in my life? Other students don't really care about assurance. They just based off a one-time thing and ignore the sin issues in their life. And so just a good conversation about sanctification and having that being a regular talk in your youth ministry about personal holiness will help clarify those issues. Uh, the second reason why you want to talk about holiness, particularly with young people, is for evangelism. Now, Austin just talked about evangelism. And he talked about the importance of that. And it's true. We ought to compel students to come to Christ frequently and boldly. But nothing will undermine the gospel witness of your ministry more than a bunch of students who live like the world. Right? Because if they're hearing you say one thing, but the rest of the students say something different, it will not be effective. Ryle in his book says that when this happens, that the gospel is despised by keen-sighted and shrewd men of the world. It hurts the witness. And so we, we need to frequently talk about holiness. You know, we, we rejoice at conversion uh, much in the same way we rejoice when a long-awaited child is born into the world, right? It's, but it's when that child is born that it needs the most parental care. In the same way when students come to Christ, it's when they need the most shepherding care and care for their souls. And so with the rest of our time, I, I want to give you some principles, some practices. I'm sure some of these will be reminders but they're helpful reminders that we all need. I'm going to highlight six of them, and it's just how to cultivate Christ-likeness in your students. I'll spend some more time on some than the others. But number one is this, create a culture of discipleship and accountability. Create a culture of discipleship or accountability or, or whatever else you want to call it, mentoring, life on life, 
uh, whatever you want to call it, it's discipleship and accountability. Uh, John 17, 17, you know that verse, Jesus says, sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth, right? It's through the word of God that the spirit of God works to conform us to the image of God. But that doesn't always happen just by one-way preaching. That often happens through the life-on-life accountability of a small group leader who's taking the time to personally invest and bring the, the word to bear in the life of a student. Uh, we see this in the New Testament model. We see Titus too. What do you see? You see older men investing into younger men and older women investing into younger women. Uh, Galatians 6.1, it's a great passage to, to look at. It describes the personal responsibility we as believers have for the spiritual health of others. And, and so we want to create this kind of environment. Personal discipleship matters, whether it's one-on-one or in small groups. It's vitally important. Because as a leader, you could preach to 20 or 30 or 80 kids, but you can't have that heart-to-heart personal interaction with all of them. Uh, you just can't point out sin in each of their lives individually. You might be able to, with some, uh, you know, put that down in the middle of my sermon. That's usually my most one. But, but that, you need volunteers. You need time and you need partners in order to disciple effectively. Here we, we call our staff. They might be your youth volunteers. But you want people to be more than babysitters. You want disciplers. You want people that can invest personally. If students are going to open up about their struggles and their sin, they need someone that, that knows about the state of their heart. And someone that knows, or that they need to know that that person cares for them and is investing into them on a personal level. And so your goal should be to cultivate, cultivate an environment where this can truly happen. Uh, that includes picking leaders. Austin mentioned this earlier, that are, are worthy models. Most of the time the New Testament talks about discipleship. It's, there's modeling involved. Picking godly examples, training them, investing into them. That might even involve, youth pastor, clearing up the calendar so they have time to do that. If if there's so many staff meetings and other meetings where they don't actually get time to invest into students, that's a problem that you've got to actually solve so they can have that time. Uh, Here for our high school ministry, we meet regional Bible studies on Wednesday. It's 30-minute teaching. It's a lot more interactive, which then leads to about 45 minutes of small group. I know junior high... They meet on Sunday morning where Jay preaches, and then Sunday night, they'll kind of rehash either Jay's sermon or Pastor John's sermon in a more kind of small group environment. Whatever that looks like in your church, find ways to cultivate those discipleship relationships. Number two, second practice, preach applicationally. And that's a made-up word. You'll get a red squiggle, and that's okay because this is a, a student ministry summit. So I can make some words up. It's all right. So as you prepare your sermons, I know you're at Shepherd's Conference, so you're about authorial intent, right? And let's find out what every single word means, and that's really, really good. But you should also spend time thinking about how does this sermon connect to the lives of the students that I'm discipling? What are the things that they need to hear? I, I, you're thinking through not just being, helping them be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So, so preach with application. Consider the issues they're facing. I mean, our, the issues our students face today and how to honor the Lord, they're thinking about dating. They're thinking about how to, you know, love Christ and still be with their friends. There's issues of pornography. There's issues of balancing sports and youth. They're thinking about picking colleges, right? We, we know the words is, in, is inspired, 2 Timothy 2, 3, 16, or sorry, 2 Timothy 3, 16. But what's the point of that inspiration? So that the, we mature, that we'd live it out. And you want to help them with that. I encourage you to spend time on the application of each sermon. Think through it. In fact, what that might even mean is taking specific topics and just preaching topical sermons. I know that that might sound bad, but that students need it. They need individual practical sermons about sex and about dating and about social media. And listen, if we as, as the church are going to be silent about those, 
who's going to preach those topics to those students? I'll tell you, it's going to be their peers who don't go to church, who are learning it on YouTube. So if we don't talk about those things, they're not going to hear it from the church. If we don't say if their parents don't talk about it, then it's not going to be brought up. So this doesn't mean, by the way, you skip doctrine. I'd even say preach doctrine practically. You know, when I think about election, that's great, but I also think that should bring about humility. Uh, when I think about regeneration, that's encouraging to know what Lord sent for me. That should encourage you also to evangelize because the Lord could change any heart. So preach doctrinally, but bring application as well. Number three, number three, partner with parents in cultivating holiness. These men have already talked about that. I won't say anything else. You know the importance of the family and the discipleship that can happen there. I'll just even say as the discipleship's happening in the home, interactions with parents sometimes also help the parents. And they help you as well understand the student more. So partner with parents. Number four, pray. Number four, pray. Now look, you can study the sins of your students, know what the issues are going on, and just pick the right passage so that you could just nail them on that topic they need to hear, right? They're just like, dude, this is the Wednesday night. Timmy's getting it. (laughs) But sanctification is always, first and foremost, a supernatural act. It doesn't happen primarily because you said the right thing. It's because the Spirit was at work in them. Now, this should be an encouragement to us, but this should also drive us to our knees to pray for them, to pray for holiness. I mean, if you look at Paul's prayers, he's often praying for the sanctification of the people he's ministering to. Colossians 1, praying they'd know the word so they'd walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. And so if Paul felt the need to pray for his people, we should too. And we also know that that's a prayer the Lord wants to answer. I mean, if Jesus prayed, sanctify them in your truth, I think God wants to answer that prayer. We can know that that's something that the Lord wants to do. Number five, number five, develop a shepherd's heart. Develop a shepherd's heart. Here's what I'll say about this. I'll, I'll be brief on this point. Often with young people, when we see them sinning again and again, even when we've talked to them about it before, we can get frustrated and we can get bitter. We're just like, if they just would understand the, the issues that, that they're creating, instead of always being frustrated, what if we were grieved? What if we were sad about the sin in our students' lives? You know, so often we think if they would just get their act together, I wonder how often the Lord could have said that with us. If they would just get their act together. Yeah, he's been patient and has shown grace to, to you and I. We at the same time should have the same heart for, for students. And I would just, just give you this exhortation. One of the ways to combat that is thankfulness when there is growth and encouragement. You know, military police, you know, drill instructors can always just hammer people when they go wrong. And DJs and, and you know, people hosting a party can always tell people things are going right. A pastor does both. We point out sin and we encourage when they're growing. Number six and final point is this. Preach to enthrall the heart. Or you could write it differently. Preach Christ beautifully. I like that one better. What do I mean by this? We could sometimes think we can rescue students from sin by pointing out the foolishness and the danger of sin. But here's the thing. If they've grown up in church, They know it's foolish, and they know it's dangerous. Sin just looks better. What we need to do is preach that obeying Christ and following Christ is greater and more satisfying. 
Uh, I'll end with this. I, I love this Thomas Chalmers' Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Talks about the maturity of a young man over time, saying that every single heart has something that's first. And so for a young man, he may love pleasure, but he might stop chasing pleasure because of a new affection for wealth, so he gets disciplined. Or that affection for wealth gets replaced by an affection for power, so he goes into politics. He writes this, he goes, there's not one of these transformations in which the heart is left without an object. Its desire for one particular object may be conquered, but as to its desire for having some one object or other, this is unconquerable. In other words, we always love something most supreme. You know what your goal is? Is to preach Christ in such a way that they see him as greater and more glorious. Or as Paul would say at 2 Corinthians 3.18, that they would behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And in doing so, they'd be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. We should preach Christ beautifully. And in doing so, we should pray that the Lord would change them more to become more like his son. With that, we're going to wrap up our talks. That's it. I'm going to ask the guys to come forward. And we're going to... Yeah, why don't you come forward? And that'd be great. And we're going to transition to a Q&A time. Bit. Uh, we're the we're the most fortunate youth workers in the planet because our pastor preaches like 90 minute sermons. So we have, you know, we all get to teach while he teaches in in some corner of the church. And so, for us to say anything in 13 minutes is nothing short of a miracle. So you just witnessed, you know, I, you could still be a cessationist, but <laughs> you just saw something pretty amazing. So kidding aside, how can we help? What's, what's on your mind? Let's talk about youth ministry. I think we got some guys with some microphones. True or false? False. false. It's a small room. We could have a conversation. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, student ministries. I just, I think it's ministering to uh, children and teenagers. And uh, so we, at our church, we just make a distinction between children's ministry, which we uh, stop after sixth grade, and then we transition towards what we call student ministry. So that would be inclusive of our junior high ministry, our, our high school ministry, and our ministry to collegians on campus. So for <coughs> children's church, junior high, high school, college, but our, what's their interaction with, because you just give the message, about interacting with mainly church. Not yeah, church. sure. How, how, does that, how does that look? Is it just a Wednesday with youth? Yeah, we don't do the SBC prenatal thing that Moeller was talking about, so we don't... <laughs> We don't, or I'm not really sure what that is. I'm scared of it. Uh, but we want our students to be a part of the church. I mean, I want my kids to be excited about coming to church. So I want them exposed to both corporate worship and some teaching that is on their level. Yeah. And so we're real happy. You know, I think we think about our Sunday school program the same way we think about our, our youth ministry programs. And so uh, we don't, make students choose uh, between going to the corporate service and our, our youth service. We, we want them to attend both. And the way our church is structured with two identical services, we're able to do that. Uh, so our, I, I constantly remind our college students that well, the church doesn't start at 1030 when we start college ministry. It starts at 830 when we go to church together. Mm -hmm. so we, we tell our high schoolers the same thing. Yeah. If you say, if you're only coming to one service, we love you. You're doing uh, it right. Go upstairs. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and go to the main yeah. church because yeah. that's, that's what we're called to do. Yeah. And I would just maybe add why youth ministry. 
And I have, like I said, I have four children. My oldest daughter, she's 11. I just want as many godly voices in her life as possible. Yeah. You know, other, other faithful, great people of our church sharing the gospel with her. I have two, two boys in the middle. Just, they love it here. I just, I love that. That's why youth ministry, just to get some other people, hopefully saying the you know, same things that we're saying at home. And I just don't want to be that, that only voice. So, yeah. yeah. A handsome man with uh, glasses like mine. Yeah, so the, the quite so the question for the recording is at, at what age do we encourage students to take communion and to be involved in the church? Yeah, or, or just say, you know, communion's for believers. Sure. Yeah. We want to encourage them to obey, but at the same time we want them to be real. Right? Yeah. So how do you how do you do that? Question just because we want to balance between just having them take it for the sake of taking it. What do you think, Jay? You've yeah, I, I would say for us, it's trying to make sure as much as humanly possible that, that that faith is legit and real, which, I mean, I just find help in asking them a simple question like, what is the gospel? And I'm not looking for a seminary answer. I'm just looking to see what, you know, what parts of it they identify and how well they answer it. And if they are and they, they say, yes, I, I genuinely believe this. I've put my faith in Christ for forgiveness of sin, yes, you should take communion. And I'm even encouraging them. And then at that point, you, you should really, you know, we should talk, have maybe have a conversation with your parents about, about baptism and here at Grace, baptism and membership. It's one process. It's, this, it's sort of the same thing. And we do all that at the same time. And, and we encourage it. You know, I, I want them to, but yes, I think you kind of answered your own question. It's, it's you know, th- those who, as far as we can tell, have legitimate faith. In regards to timing on that, just partnering with parents is so helpful because, A, you don't want them to disobey their parents. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to you make sure, like, hey, can I take communion? First question is, like, what do your parents think? I think that's a good way to support parents and mm-hmm. not replace them. But sometimes as we're trying to deal with a kid, like, are they a believer or are they not? Like, it'd be foolish just not to ask, if, especially if they've got believing parents, what are you seeing at home? Because mm-hmm. sometimes you talk to a parent and you're like, whoa, <laughs> like, what we're seeing at home, this is not a good idea for this kid to get baptized. Yeah. So, My kid wants to get baptized? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you sure? Yeah. So it's, it's good just to, it's a great reason to build a relationship with parents so you can have those conversations and have them be part of that process. Sure. Matt Feldy. I'd want, you know, I've, I've started youth ministry once before. Uh, there was something that happened at the church beforehand that was just a kind of a start and fail. And so this is at a, a previous church. And so I remember, you know, moving from a big church that I grew up in doing youth ministry there and then going to a little church and starting this new youth ministry effort there. And I set up chairs and a microphone on the first night, and I think seven kids came. So I, I hid the microphone, felt embarrassed, and <laughs> uh, learned how to do youth ministry at a small church. And so things I wish I would have done differently, I wish I would have started with parents 
You know, it started by talking to parents, meeting with parents, talking about what, you know, where their students were, that kind of thing. And, then, and I think I'd just start slow, uh, have, find some committed and devoted volunteers, disciplers who get it, mm -hmm. who understand the gospel. And I, I would start small and, and go from there. And usually, you know, at a small church, junior high and high school are together, which presents its own, you know, difficulties. And then, you know, as, as some of the you know, most, you know, beloved students uh, grow up, now it's a group for, you know, 13 to 24-year-olds, which is really awkward and odd. And so, you know, all those challenges that you have at a small church are, are unique, and you have to cackle them as they come. But I think you just start small, start teaching the Bible, start meeting with parents, start, you know, having some opportunity for for the youth to be ministered to in that way. Yeah. Uh, guy in the front over here. Josh, why don't you handle that one? Yeah, uh, we, we think that's really important. So his question was, how do you pour into the leaders uh, that are also helping out in the youth ministry? That's a huge question because sometimes the, uh, the people think is, well, I have to choose between serving or being poured into. And obviously, if those people are supposed to be models, uh, they need to be living godly as well, and they need someone to look after them. So the way we do it on a practical basis is we, we have a staff meeting twice a month um, where we just get together. That, that sounds way more formal than it is. It's, it's really casual. We spend a lot of time praying together. But I divide those into two different meetings. One of those is, or two different topics every other time. Sometimes we'll talk about how do we just grow in our ministry? How do we grow in discipling students better? We'll throw out a topic like, you know, dating or that's relevant specifically to the students we're ministering to. And we'll talk about how to bring the truth on that. And then other times we'll just talk about our own hearts. Talk about how do we grow in love in Christ, grow in prayer. And then also, I, I'll just say that I'm not... The, the size of our group, you know, if, if you've got a smaller group, you can, you can do that. We've got, uh, we've got about 45 volunteers. I can't get one-on-one -on -one time with all of them. So uh, I do try to get one-on-one -on -one time with much of them as I can. But I've also got other leaders that, uh, that then focus on discipling our staff. Uh, we, we don't ever, I mean, none of us arrive to the place where we don't need someone pouring into our life. Uh, so that's, that's something that we try to do. I don't know if you guys have anything to no, that's, add that's to helpful. that. That's helpful. I mean, you just, you know, train, train their people that volunteer with your young people, make sure that they're mindful. And, and there's practical things, you know, I don't know if somebody's going to bring this up, but uh, train them about issues regarding abuse in the mm. church. Train them yes. about how to respond to stuff that they hear. Uh, there's a good book uh, called... <laughs> it's Deepak Ray. Uh, thank you. Good job. It is. I can't remember the title, though. I can remember the author. Uh, on guard. Yeah, you should you should get that book. You should read that book. You should be aware of the procedures in your community as a mandatory reporter. You're going to hear stuff as a youth pastor, and I'd rather the bad guys that did bad stuff to kids go to jail than me. Yes. So I, I'm just I'm not suited for jail. I wouldn't do well there. So uh, it's I mean government is a blessing and a gift uh, by God to punish wrongdoers. So. You know, you hear stories of abuse in the church getting covered up because the church thinks they should handle it instead of, instead of the, uh, the authorities. That's it, insanity. Yeah. So, uh, okay, next, Deepak Raju. It's a nine marks book. He's a he's one of the associate pastors at Mark Devers Church on Capitol Hill. It's got on a, guard. It's got is a picture the title. of a church on it with like a bunch of little. Yeah, it's about splots. sexual abuse in the church. Yes, sir, with a beard. 
Are you from Texas? Okay. You said y'all. No, it's okay. I just, I love Texas. God bless Texas. You know, for us, we actually, just like normal church, we have to encourage them to invite their friends. I mean, in junior high, we do get a few visitors from time to time. Um, and with parents, I, we try to talk to those students if we see them come back more than once. And we just say, hey, we, if you're going to be a part of this group, we would love for you to be a part of, the, of our youth ministry here, of junior high here. Uh, and part of that is it just, it's absolutely necessary that we know who your parents are. So we need an email, a phone number, hopefully both, and legible <laughs> so that we can actually get it. So don't have the students fill that out. Yeah, we don't like to practice curbology here where this is just a place you can drop off your kids. Yeah, right. uh, but we're aware that there's kids in the neighborhood that are going to roll into our, our youth group, and uh, we're, we're really happy to have them, yeah. and we want to we be mindful. And it obviously changes as these kids get older. You know, they they have a different relationship with their parents than when they're in sixth grade than when they're a sophomore in high school or in a sophomore in college. So, uh, you know, we, we kind of handle it differently based on their age. Yeah, and uh, even if you got parent nights, invite them to it. Yeah. The, the question was how to reach out to uh, parents of unsaved students to get to know them. But yeah. there's huge ministry that happens to that. I'm 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 a kid who got saved from an unsaved family. My dad's sitting over there as a believer who he got reached out to. Hi, Dad. Uh, he got he got <laughs> he got reached out to by the he didn't get converted because of me. He got converted because the members of the church saw, here's this new kid that's showing up. We should reach out to this, this kid's parents. Yeah. So yeah, get to know them just like you would try to get to know uh, uh, another parent. Yeah. Still need some more of the basics, but you're still getting deep enough sure. to challenge, you know, the senior in high school. I think you just said it. I mean, you, you want to try to find uh, a way that ministers God's truth. Thankfully, there's no, you know, uh, 18 and older written on the front of your Bible. Uh, so all God's truth is is applicable to to these students and to help them understand it and preach applicationally, like Josh was talking about. Uh, is I think what you can do with them. And I think you can address junior high kids at their level. And I think you can talk to the high school kids in the same, same group. I mean, you know, when you have a, a little youth group, it's, you're not, hopefully, you know, if you have 13 kids in your youth group, you're not standing at a pulpit and expositing for an hour. Uh, you know, I know, I know we all want to be John MacArthur when we grow up, but that's a little bit weird. So uh, <laughs> open your Bibles to... So, you know, I mean, so that, you know, just appropriate for the, for the group and the age and the, and the room. I mean, it's a blessing to be uh, in, a, in a group where you're able to know every kid's name and every kid's parents' names. And, uh, you know, success. I was just listening to Zerdia downstairs last hour. How many of you were in that one? Oh, that was good. If you, if you weren't in that, download that. I think it was, it's important for youth ministers to listen to that kind of a talk because he talked about what ministerial success and envy really looks like. And one of the things he said at the end is, is 
You know, by what standard do you deem ministry successful? Uh, that's up to God, and ultimately you won't know until eternity the impact that your ministry with a little group of, of students, six, seven kids, has in eternity. Yes, sir. Sure. Can we get them all triple E CDs? Um, <laughs> so we try to get the old people. Yes, yeah, get the triple yeah, 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 E. It would just help. Josh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> yes. And I think we can close in prayer. Uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, I... <laughs> That was really your answer. That's no. amazing. Thanks, I have an answer, but I realized I interrupted Jay, and really I don't good. know. Do I let him talk? Do I talk? <laughs> it's really good. I'll try to save it. Uh, no, I think a lot of it's just that they haven't tried. Um, they haven't experienced it. You know, we have certain thoughts or presuppositions about youth people, you know, youth students or old people, you know, and so even just inviting them to come, hey, why don't you just come check out high school on Sunday? I'd encourage you just to, to you know, participate, watch, observe, sit in a small group. And I, I, you'd be surprised how many people are like, oh, that was, that was fantastic. You know, and I would, I would, do you need help? Like, I would love to, to, to sit with these students and just talk. And, and you'd also be really surprised how much students are willing to listen to, to that older crowd, you know. And, There's 20-year-olds who are incredibly ineffective yeah, at yes. ministering to students. Huge. And there are 60-year-olds that are phenomenal. Yeah. So it really has to do with, you know, a person's giftedness, abilities, and it's helping people in the church find out a good place that suits their, the way they're wired, the way they're gifted. So I don't think it's, it's just an age rage thing. It's, I think it's a heart uh, thing. You know, this guy's a discipler. I'm thinking if, I'm not going to name anybody because it'll be calling them old, but we have people on our high school staff who aren't young and who are superb disciples. One couple, they've been on for 28 years 28 years on high school staff yeah. and they didn't start when they were two yeah so and 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 part of students not appreciating older people is part of immaturity that they've picked up from the world yeah uh, that is a worldly concept that older is not cool and therefore not helpful um so and i think you know bridging that gap is just finding staff people that could do it and obviously you got to use you know you'll have the people that volunteer you can't handpick the different demographics that help out with staff but that's a good thing and I, i'd say I mean, matt how many matt's one of our our Shepherds, how many people over 35, 40 do we have on high school staff? 30%? Yeah, good. Yeah. So it's, it's great to have that because students need to see what a collegian looks like to be faithful to Christ, what a, a young married, young parent, and what an old person looks like to be yeah. faithful. So, yeah. Maybe helpful to just identify evangelists, too, in your church. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this guy loves to share the gospel. Yeah, he go should, after people. He should maybe come to, to high school. Or when I was at my, my little church back home, I, I would go after specific people. Come, come help me in, in high school ministry. Come, come help. And it never crossed their mind. Yeah. And they were, they were like, you know, I'm not, I, I couldn't even imagine myself doing that. And yeah. I'm just like, you are perfect for it. And I'm desperate. <laughs> <laughs> guy, guy in the back has had his hand faithfully up for a long time. Five minutes and listen to a sermon, 
or do you play hymns in your youth ministry because you don't want them to go to a big church and then it be like totally foreign. So I guess how do you bridge mm. that gap when we're talking about connecting them to the life of the body? Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to advocate for shorter sermons. I just wanted our, our talks in here to be under 13 minutes. Uh, and uh, what I'm saying is, is look, long sermons don't make, long doesn't make a sermon good. You know, so I think you just got to be mindful of, of what you're able to communicate to students in the time that you're allotted. And, you know, preaching is an important part of what you're doing. Um, singing together can certainly be an important part of what you're doing. But your youth ministry doesn't have to look exactly like your church service. You, you know, whether you're doing small groups or uh, wh whatever it is, it can have variety in it. Uh, and then I think one of the things you're teaching students is you're teaching them to love the church. And, and one of the ways you do that is by making sure you're not just doing tiny church in your youth group. Uh, and so what's happening in the corporate service is special. It's uniquely blessed by God. It's ordained by him, the things we do there. That's why I'm a, I'm a fierce opponent of serving communion in the youth group. <sighs> so I think that's an ordinance of the church. And I don't think it's a romantic snack for your wedding. Uh, and I don't think it's a good, you know, pizza and grape soda are not the Lord's Supper. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Reformed Baptist. What do you do? Uh, I'll, I'll just say one more thing. When it suits to, me. I one am. more thing to that. I'll just, I'll just add on. I have the benefit of preaching second hour. Um, and I, I preach on Sundays. We do the smaller groups on Wednesdays. Um, but I often, I'll listen for it. What are things that Pastor John says? that connect to my sermon so I could point them out so students know they're like, oh, I should be actively listening to first hour yeah. as, they're, as they're connecting. So I try to bridge the gap that way. I pointed over here, that, that man with the good hair. <laughs> it's you. Great. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Mark, do you see your names? What's your name? Colin. Colin. It's a great question. Uh, yeah, no, we, we face the same dilemmas, and, and we're, you know, we're, we're mildly <laughs> fundamentalists around here, so we don't necessarily play well with others. Uh, plus, <laughs> we, you know, we're, <laughs> what's the matter with me today? Uh, it's, stop. Uh, it's your socks. It's my yeah, yeah, yeah. persecuted for my socks. It, so it's a great question because, uh, you know, it takes a lot of wisdom and assessment of each situation. I'll give you an example. Uh, there, there's cultic groups on campus at Cal State Northridge that we would never partner with no matter what. And we're not going to partner uh, with uh, the Roman Catholic student group. Uh, because they don't understand the gospel and we're as Protestant as we are punitive. So we, we would draw lines other places. But, you know, the fact that crew, you know, is, is interested in spiritual formation and is a little bit wonky and Arminian, uh, I mean, that, I, I'm, not, I'm not happy, but I I'm also understand the body of Christ is, is more, you know, large than I, than I like to think it is. So Friday night, Al Mohler came down to campus on UCLA and did an event called Ask Anything. It's on Facebook. You can watch his answer. It was an apologetics event. Uh, some, of, some of our more eager seminarians thought they should go and ask him uh, offensive questions about, you know, what, what do you think of Billy Graham? Billy Graham. And, and 
I tried to counter that with the purpose of this event is to try to have this be an evangelistic atmosphere where we're partnering with other Christian groups on campus, and we did. We partnered with Campus Crusade, with the InterVarsity Group, with, with some of the other groups for the sake of reaching students for Christ, and Moeller was phenomenal. He, about a third of the questions that came to the microphones were from atheists or kind of unbelievers. We had, I had a great hour-long conversation afterward with just a, a girl who's never heard the gospel and was a feminist and everything else you'd be if you went to UCLA. So, uh, so you, I think you just have to wisely think about how those partnerships work. If we're running an event, we like to kind of run the event. And if we're not, we understand that we're committing to something that we may, we may regret. But, you know, we're, we're also the, the bigger group on campus at, at UCLA. And, and we, we struggle with all the things you struggle with on campus ministries uh, of the rules for engagement and re- reserving rooms and, you know, having student leadership. And so there's a lot of challenges unique to to ministry on campus, as you know. Other questions? Time for one more. There you go. Yeah, you have a tie-on. Uh, what's the role of fun in youth ministry, and where's that line between Jay throws candy almost every single time they meet. He, I mean, that, uh, how much more Rick Warren can you get? <laughs> Josh, Josh exudes fun. And I'm sarcastic. So that's, that's kind of an overview of the fun in student ministries. Josh, how would you answer? The <laughs> so the question is, what's the balance of fun? Uh, look, if it's, if it's where your group is just about fun, you've missed the point. If right. you've created an atmosphere where you can't bring any sort of sobriety or seriousness, you yeah. can't actually talk about sin, uh, then yeah, you've, you've crossed the line. Um, at the same time, I, I think it's okay to have fun. I think it's, I think, uh, one of our responsibilities as youth leaders is to show that students don't have to choose between fun and obedience, mm. right? The war, you know, usually they have to think all sin is fun uh, or all fun is sin, and that's, that's not the case. So I think it's, it's, you know, you have to think purposely about what your events are. So if you're, I don't think you should try to do everything on the same night. We have events that are just purely, we yeah. had a costume bowling night of, of last month, and it was purely just to because hang out. bowling's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Costume bowling. Don't make me talk about disc golf. Anyway, so so uh, I'm the one that likes disc golf. So um, yeah, I think it's okay to have purely fun events, but you know it shouldn't. You know you shouldn't interrupt your evangelistic outreach because you know people didn't hear the gospel message because you were telling a joke or you know here's Jesus and now here's candy. So yeah, you have a good healthy balance, right? Yeah. yeah. So some people run from it. It's okay to have It would fun. be so weird if you had ministry to teenagers that wasn't fun. Yeah. I mean, they're 13 years old, honestly. And, and that's where when you meet on Sundays, it's helpful. Like what you said about we're not mini church. Yeah. Like sometimes we'll do something fun second hour. People are like, how could you do this in the Lord's house? And I'm like, guys, this, this isn't church. We, we had church. So we're going to preach the word and we're going to focus on discipling. And it's, it's also okay to make fun of something that happened at the Olympics last week. Right. And to do donuts. Like do donuts? Like yes. A car or... Yes. <laughs> to do donuts. Do donuts. We uh, well, gentlemen, I think that's. I think we're out of time. Are you showing that camp video? Is that happening or not? Yeah, happening? we can do that real quick. So, so, it's like two minutes long. Yeah, we got a two-minute video. Can you so, tolerate a two-minute video? It's very youth ministry to show a video. So, <laughs> so one of, one of the things we wanted to do is is uh, our our church hosts a summer camp every single year. We understand the importance of camp in the life of a student ministry. The camp is called Camp Regen and. Uh, 
none of us are going to talk. We're just going to have our, our pastor talk. So. I wanted to take just a moment to talk to you pastors and, and youth pastors and, and church leaders and let you know how significant I believe Camp Regen is. Not only all the fun and, and all the social activities and the fellowship that the kids have and that mutual pastors and youth pastors have together, but the spiritual thrust of that camp is just the very, very best. Literally, the greatest experience the kids could possibly have recreationally and, and socially, but at the heart of the whole thing is the relentlessly faithful preaching of the Word of God. I'm talking about some serious preaching of divine truth. And we know where the power lies, right? It lies in the Word of God. It is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I would just tell you, because I'm a part of Camp Regen every year, it will have a lasting spiritual impact on the young people in your church. I want you to do everything you can to participate in Camp Regen. Work it out to have your youth leaders or your youth group there for that conference. I'm, I'm convinced that if you go once, you're going to be a regular part of it because you're going to see the impact that it has on the lives of the young people in your church. And as a shepherd of, uh, of the families, including the young people in your church, this is a way that you can enhance your own stewardship before the Lord by letting these kids be impacted through the preaching of the Word of God in a very controlled and intense environment. Spiritually very powerful, all designed to help you be a faithful shepherd of the flock that God has placed under your care. Be a part of Camp Regen.